to see everybody. Welcome. If you're new to Restoration, we're really glad you're here. Um, first Sunday in November, a little nippy. Um, hey, listen, we're going <laughs> to... That was my weather update. Um, we're going <laughs> to... Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we're going to take our offering right now. And so um, if, you, uh, if you're a part of this place, you call us your church. We're just grateful for your sacrifice. Um, and we are uh, actually... Um, in a moment uh, in the life of our church where we're preparing for next year, reflecting on this year as far as giving and preparing for next year. And um, next Sunday, actually, I was going to save this for announcements, but next Sunday is our all-church annual meeting. So um, right after the service, I mean, who doesn't like church business meetings, right? I mean, we, we, make, <laughs> we, make, them, we make them sweet. We do it once a year. We have some budget. We have some 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 information to pass along to you. If you're a member here, you're you're uh, we need your vote vote to be a part of it. Um, and if you're not, um, what you'd call member here. That's okay. Uh, we still want you to be a part of that. So you can affirm and be a part and um, see what how this place kind of ticks uh, a little bit. So good. All right. Um, here we go. We're in a series called Be, Become, Do. And if you have a Bible, we're going to start off in Matthew chapter 4 today. Uh, this is the fourth of our series. And the thing is, um, if you've missed the last few weeks, I would encourage you to go back, catch the podcast. It's, this is really setting the table for where we, we're going as a church, who we want to be as a church. We, we really are pushing against this idea that you show up here, consume what we give you, and then, uh, in a sense, pat yourself on the back, you did it, um, and then you just kind of go live the life that you want to live. Um, now, I, here's the thing, like following Jesus, the apprenticing Jesus, has a, a whole bunch more to it than, I think, just coming to church. And um, we love that you're coming, um, but to be honest with you, we're, we're, our, our end game in here at Restoration is not... Uh, more attenders. So, um, our, actually, our end game here is a more apprentices of Jesus that are learning what it looks like to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. That's really our end game. And so, uh, last week we talked about what it looks like to become like Jesus. A little bit of an overview last week was. Um, next week on, we're actually going to, through Christmas, we're actually going to be talking about what that looks like. What does it look like to be changed? What, it looks, what does it look like to experience trans, like real deep transformation in our lives? Um, and so be around for that. But today we're going to talk about what it looks like to do what Jesus did. So I'm going I'm to rapid fire through some scripture um, in the Gospels, and um, we're going we're gonna to see what comes from that. Matthew 4, verse 18, we're going to start. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And a few weeks ago, we talked about that phrase, fish for people. Uh, some translations say, be fishers of men. Um, and it, we, we just... I want to remind you that's not a joke of Jesus's. It is a Hebrew idiom that means be a um, to to kind of grab people's minds and imaginations as a teacher. And so Jesus is saying, "I'm a teacher. I want to teach you how to change people's minds about how they see the world too." Um, and come follow me. Um, 
And uh, I missed my spot. At once they left their nets and followed him. So they dropped their career, they dropped their family. Um, well, didn't drop their family, but they left their nets. Going on from there, verse 21, it says, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were, bo- they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So, um, yeah, same thing happens there. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues. This is verse 23, because he was a rabbi. Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill and with various diseases, those suffering pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, and Decapolis is like a 10-city state, uh, Greek state. Uh, Jerusalem, Judea, and, uh, and, the, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Uh, verse 5, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountainside and sat down. His disciples, his Talmudim, came to him, and he began to teach them. So Jesus begins to teach his apprentices um, on this mountainside. And, and what follows is um, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus's like manifesto of how life should be lived, what life in the kingdom looks like. And, um, and so this was his, this kind of new, brand new reality that Jesus was um, ushering in. Now, look past that teaching to what happens after chapter eight. Um, and, and this is chapter eight. We'll start in uh, verse 18. It says, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake then a teacher of the law came to him. And now this is a rabbi. This is a full-time professor-type professor, uh, professor type teacher of the Old Testament. Comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Really? Because I'm homeless. That's my translation. Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Um, And another disciple said, Lord, let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me, become my apprentice, and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, here's the thing about scripture. We see this all the time. Some people um, are eager to follow Jesus. They're like, pick me, pick me, you know, like the fishermen. Um, And then you have other people who are like, ah, I don't know, uh, they're a little reluctant, they maybe have some excuses, and you see this all throughout Jesus' time. We're gonna keep going, Matthew chapter nine. You guys tired of scripture yet? Too bad, okay. Um, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, for those of you who are new to scripture or maybe kind of gloss that over, a tax collector is a Jewish traitor is a Jewish person, a Jewish man who has, in a sense, turned his back on his own people and is making money off of his own people, collecting taxes for the oppressive regime of Rome. And so this is a tax collector. His name's Matthew. Uh, he says, follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Now, this is totally scandalous because of what I just told you, but also uh, Matthew... In order to become a tax collector, 
like you're a broken individual, like something has happened in your life to put you in a place where you would want to do that. And so Matthew isn't just a, a Jewish guy that's kind of uh, skirting the system and getting money from, from his own people. He's actually broken deep inside, in my opinion. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors, so there's more of them, and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. And he's quoting from the Old Testament here. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So curiously, here's what happens. Some of the people who actually follow Jesus are really messed up. It's like a wild thing, right? And they're in need of healing. They do not have their act together, but still the open invite is, come and follow me. Matthew, tax collector guy, come and follow me, okay? And be one of my apprentices. Matthew 9, a little further on, verse 35, it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So that word send is a really difficult word to translate um, from English to Latin to Greek. Um, it actually is where we get the word mission and every derivative of that word. And so that's where we kind of get the word missionary. And, and, and sometimes I, I'm really uncomfortable with the word missionary because we think that's people that go overseas. And then when you're in, a, in an old church lobby, they have a picture of them and then a piece of yarn to it, you know? And those are missionaries. If you have yarn attached to you, attack by your picture, you're a missionary. <laughs> but, but the reality is, is that's not what this is. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Basically, he comes to them and he says, there's so much we can do, but I need more people to do it. I'm just one man. I can't be in all places at once. I need more people to do this. So he gets his apprentices together and says, listen, it's time. It's time for you to give this a shot. It's time for you to jump into this. You've been watching me, you've been listening to me, you've been hearing me, it's time to do it. And these are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who was called Peter, his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the what? Yeah, I mean, like that still makes it in, right? It's not like it's that same guy, I love it. A James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him, these 12 G Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. So he says, go, let's go first to Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Then he says this, freely you have received, freely give. So He's sending the disciples out to do all this stuff that we go, man, that's crazy stuff, right? Heal the sick, 
drive out demons, uh, cleanse people from leprosy. I mean, like, that's big, big church stuff right there, right? That's not set up and tear down, watch some toddlers. That's like real, real good stuff. And, and basically, Jesus says, it's your turn. You've watched, you've waited, you've received. Now go give. And then fast forward to the last part. Uh, yeah. We're on Matthew 28. We're going to Matthew 28 now. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Matthew 28, 16. To the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, go and make apprentices of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So did you see a pattern in there? I mean, sometimes we have to look at the kind of the sweep of what Jesus is doing to understand the pattern. There's a, there starts to see something emerge in the story over and over again. So first you have Jesus that comes on the scene. He's a rabbi. He, he starts to teach. But he's more than a rabbi, right? We learn that he's more than, more than a rabbi. He's Messiah. And he comes to usher in the kingdom of God. Okay. Then early on, Jesus begins to call for apprentices to what he's teaching. And he says, hey, Peter, uh, come and follow me. Hey, don't you have a brother? Yeah, you come too. And, and then he just starts going around and he starts asking people to follow him. The apprentices begin to follow Jesus. They're with him. Um, they watch him. They, they're, they're talking with him. They get who he is and how he ticks. Um, they live with Jesus. They be, start to be become like Jesus, and then um, just like the example of Jesus' life, they, they, they pray, they learn how to like, get away on Sabbath, they, they learn how to do all these things, they learn how to eat meals with people far from God, like tax collectors and sinners, and they learn all this. And then Jesus says, okay, when you, when you begin to adopt this lifestyle, that's when you begin to become like me and do what I did. And uh, Peter, he says, Peter, here's the Holy Spirit. Go heal her. James, why don't you head up to Chorazin and do some work up there? Matthew, head over to Tyre. And then they would come back and they would debrief, right? They'd come back and debrief their experience. And multiple years in, Jesus says, you're ready. You're ready. Go and make disciples. Now, those of you who are in the business side of things and, and corporate world and social theorists talk about what it looks like, uh, four stages of being an apprentice, okay? I think we'll have these on the screen. Uh, stage one is I do, you watch, okay? I do, you watch. Second stage is I do, you help. So feeding of the 5,000, Jesus is like, okay, pass this out. Okay, I'll help you. Um, so I do, you help. Stage three, you do, I help. Okay. And then you do, I watch. It's the final stage. This idea of like, okay, it's your turn now. I'm going to let you do it. Um, some of you in here have been through medical school. It's funny because um, medical school, when you think about it, I mean, this is your, your, your goal is to become a physician, a doctor, a surgeon. And, and over time, through teaching, through, 
through practice, through all these different things, you get to a point where you get into a residency and an internship, all these kinds of things, and after like 25 years, you become a doctor. Now, you don't do it because you wanna just know what everybody says on Grey's Anatomy, right? That's not your goal. Your goal is to actually do it. Um, I work with the police department, and they're hire, when they hire officers, the officers go through police academy, okay, which was like a hilarious six movies back in the 80s. And then, nobody? Like five of us know that? Um, so they go, you go to police academy. You, if you graduate police academy, you come out, and then you're in a car uh, with an officer, um, and you're just basically riding shotgun for like two weeks, and you're learning from that officer. Then, um, as the progression goes, you begin to drive, and they begin to be next to you. And then finally, at the last, the last stage of your training to become a, an Arvada police officer, you are, you are totally in charge. You're in the car. You're doing all the calls, everything like that, and there is a plain-closed instructor with you. And then you go back to your first instructor, and the goal is when you go back to your first instructor, your first instructor can, can tell how far you've moved into becoming a police officer. This uh, last few months, uh, my wife Angela has been um, learning how to bake really awesome, really awesome from scratch bread. And, and not bread making, not like you throw it in a machine and it whips it up, and, but like from a starter, like, like old school like stuff we don't do anymore. Um, and so she got this starter in a jar from Kelly's Zvorka, and she, had cr she started, she made the starter from scratch. And so Angela's been learning through really weird-looking YouTube videos and, and uh, podcasts and reading how to do bread. There's a loaf right there. We're going to have it at communion. Now, what's been so fun about this is that more people have wanted to learn how to bake bread from scratch. And so Angela's taken some of her starter and put it in a jar and given it to, not with her hands, that's gross, but like scooped it. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> here you go. Um, like, and then they would kind of feed that starter and it would grow and then they would make bread and it would just split off more and more. But there's like 10 people in our church making bread now. And here's the cool part about it. It's like this trial and error. There's, I mean, you can read books and YouTube, but unless you get in there and get, get your hands into the dough and, and, and there's tasting and tinkering and, and all these things, that's part of it. That's part of the work. And then you call each other up. How did that go for you? What did you do there? How did, you, how did this work out in this situation? And, and it, the reality is if you're an apprentice to Jesus, the same things apply. The goal is to be the kind of person that will carry on the work of Jesus in the world. And it doesn't happen overnight. It, it's practice and trying things out and tinkering and working and figuring out things. And, and so here's my list of, in, in my opinion, of reading scripture of all the things that Jesus did, okay? Um, and this is not an exhaustive list. You might disagree with it, but that's okay. You're not up here. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> But these are all the things that Jesus did. I don't know if this is going to be on the screen or not. Number one is preaching the gospel. Two, teaching the way. Three, healing the sick. Casting out demons. Eating and drinking with people far from God. Doing justice. Peacemaking. Praying. Prophesying. And standing up against religious and uh, political corruption. These are all things that, I, in my reading of scripture, Jesus did. 
And, um, and a lot of us are just like to, no, Jesus just came to save us. And no, he did all these things. And then he encouraged his apprentices to jump in and do them all too. So eventually our goal is to do all of that. Now here's honestly, here's where I lose a lot of you. Because what you're saying in your head and anytime we get to talk about Jesus and the things Jesus did, you'll say, yeah, well, of course Jesus did it. He was God. So he didn't have a problem doing it because it was God. God could do whatever God wants. And so it's easy for God to heal and all that kind of stuff. So any, anytime we talk about Jesus as an, example, as, an, as an example, I get that pushback. Jesus was God. I'm not. And here's the thing with that. Ever since the Enlightenment, I think Christians, uh, followers of Jesus, have actually had a hard time wrapping their heads around what Jesus calls us to do. And the reason why I say that is, is the educated elite in the Enlightenment, they kind of came up with this idea of we believe in the natural and not the supernatural. And it, it's, this is an Enlightenment category, right? And we've talked about this a number of weeks there's the material, the physical, the natural, and then there's everything else, and I'm not sure I believe in everything else. Or we separate the two completely, and that's just not the worldview of Jesus at all. Jesus' world was, was much more together when it came to that. And so people will say, well, we believe that Jesus was a rabbi, that he was a good teacher, but we don't believe that he was the son of God. And so the knee-jerk theological reaction for people who believe in Jesus was to say, was to point to the miracles and say, look, Jesus healed people. Look, Jesus walked on water. Look, Jesus cleansed a leper. And the problem with that line of thinking is that the disciples did all the same stuff. The disciples did everything that Jesus did. Uh, Peter and James and John. I mean, all throughout Scripture, like in the New Testament, these guys were doing everything that Jesus did. And so to point to Jesus and say, well, he did it because he was God, well, that's just, that's not going to work. Because just to make a long story short, everything Jesus did, he did as a real, true human being, empowered by the Holy Spirit, as an example to his apprentices, right? As an example to these guys following him. And so when God becomes Jesus of Nazareth, he puts aside, we've talked about this before, he puts aside the God card. He's no longer omnipresent. He's, he, he puts some things aside, what I call his all-access pass to the universe, and he comes to dwell among us. He lays that down, not to be an avatar like God in a, you know, in a, in a, in a Jesus body or anything, but he lays that down so that he can show us what it looks like to be fully human and the spirit doing all this work through him. Now, he becomes Jesus, God becomes Jesus of Nazareth and, and did what he did by the Holy Spirit. Then the disciples did what they did by the Holy Spirit. Okay? Then the early church did what Jesus did by the Holy Spirit. And now you and I do what Jesus did, did by the Holy Spirit. That's like part of the, the program here. And so now I wish I could end my teaching just right there. And you are all saying the same thing. Let's just be done. This is only like 15, 20 minutes in, right? And you guys deserve much longer than that. 
don't worry, I'm not going much longer. Point is, is I'm just saying, right, how does this work now? Like I could send you out the door and say, just go do what Jesus did and then come back next week. Um, but we live in a very complex moment and doing mission is much harder than it was even a decade ago. Um, for those of you who are my age and even older, you know what, you know what I'm talking about. We have so much happening now. Our culture has moved from a Christian-ish culture to a post-Christian culture, meaning uh, the reaction against Christian culture is, is harsh. There's built-in bias. There's hostility to the way of Jesus. It's a digital, secular age, very progressive city we live in. Um, and so the question is, how do we live the way of Jesus in this context? How do we do that? Because the way we were doing it 20 and 30 years ago isn't really connecting with anybody anymore. I love this working definition I got of church. Listen to this, what a church should be. A community of followers of Jesus seeking to discover the teachings of Jesus and the practices of the early church and apply them to the soil of a post-Christian world. I love this because the word seeking is this idea that we're just not there yet. We're figuring this out. We're tasting and tinkering and trying to figure out what it looks like to apply this to our world. And I think, um, think, of, think of this as, as more of a laboratory than a, than a formula. Uh, back in the 80s and 90s, there was a lot of formulas about how to live you know, the Christian life or even how to tell people about Jesus. This is more of a laboratory, not a formula. And I want to encourage you on that. And so I have like five real brief thoughts, and then we have something special to do. Um, five real brief thoughts. And my hope is that, that you can move from being maybe a little overwhelmed right now with the things I'm saying to being encouraged, to being empowered, to try something on. Last week, we talked about intentional. This is my first thing. Last thing. Last week, we talked about intentional spiritual formation. Remember about how if unintentionally you and I just wake up, we're being formed, okay? What I'm, I'm proposing is, is, is turning to intentional spiritual formation, the kind to be the kind of person that will grow into the lifestyle of, of Jesus and, and, and taking, um, so teaching is one piece that replaces the stories in our lives that we believe or don't believe. Um, have practices replace the habits in our lives. This is all last week's stuff. Um, community, okay, uh, replaces just arbitrary relationships in our lives. And then the, the role of the Holy Spirit to maybe kind of counter-effect our environment, okay? Um, I was meeting with a friend of mine, Tim Andrews, who's, I've shared stories with him before, but he's, he's in his mid-60s. He's just had a really difficult physical life um, and a really difficult um, reaction to Christianity because of his upbringing. And we get together every couple of weeks and, and talk and hang out. And one of the things he really battles is anxiety and depression. And so somebody turned him on to a class that you can take online. And some of you have probably heard of this class. It's um, Yale um, has a class, their most popular class in the history of Yale is a class on happiness. Have you heard of this? Anybody? Nobody? Okay. Well, I get to break it to you. So uh, what developed over a number of years, uh, there was a teacher named Lori Santos, and, and, and she developed this class on how to 
slow down, unplug, push things away, how to, how to push into gratitude. There's nothing Christian here. There's not, she doesn't talk about Jesus, but she talks about these practices uh, that are very, many of them are very biblical. And her class has been so popular because the homework for it is actually practice. And her class has been so popular, they began to offer it for free online, and my friend Tim Andrews took it. And we're talking about it, and he's like, it was so fascinating, and I went through it all in four days, and, and now I'm doing all these things. Like, I have a gratitude journal, and I have all these things that I'm unpacking in my own life. And I said, Tim, I just got a question for you, because I knew this was coming, right? I got a question for you. Like, what if you just learned all that stuff? Would it have changed your life? Because literally, it's had a huge impact on him. And he's like, oh, no. He's like, most of this stuff I already knew. But I put it into practice. And by putting it into practice, I've become the kind of person that is less anxious and, and working through some of the ways I'm depressed. And so the reason why I say that is, is that's intentional formation. That's like pushing into those places. Second thing I want to tell you is know your stage of discipleship. Like know your season of life. Like this is really important. Like you may be in a season of life right now that's not the same as it was two years ago and you're beating yourself up for the fact that you, you don't feel the same or you don't have this same connection to God as you did two years ago. Well, two years ago, you probably didn't have a toddler or two years ago, you probably were in a different place in your life than you are now. The, the point is, is this, this idea of be, become, do is not a three-step formula. It's not like a do this, then do this, then do this. It's actually this this beautiful progression um, that we just get to start and restart. My hope is, is that you would start to, to develop some place in your life that you could practice some things. Start to become like Jesus. See that transformation is happening. See the beginning of the inner dis disposition in your life changing because of some of these uh, practices, some of the things you're doing. So the question is like, really, what stage are you at? I think this is really good reflection for all of us. What stage are you at? Some of you are just checking Jesus out. Some of you are um, doing deep work in your life, in community. I can think of some of the, the people going through Faith Walking 201, and some of you are about to plunge into 101 this week. And, and by the way, you can still sign up for that, so there's last chance, last warning. Uh, maybe some of you have been following Jesus for a while, and you've been living into a, a rhythm of what it looks like to to uh, be alone with God and to, to hear the Spirit. And, and some of you are like ready to step into a calling that you're, you're kind of trying on some things right now. Some of you are like, like just need to focus on being with Jesus and abiding with Jesus. Um, I've talked to a number of people before and they're just like, man, I'm like, hey, do you wanna get connected around here? And they're like, yeah, I'm just focusing on abiding with Jesus. I said, well, you can still abide with Jesus in our toddlers. You can still do that, you know, but like, <laughs> but some, sometimes we just need to like slow down. And, and you remember that classic question, what would Jesus do? Anybody around for that bad boy in the 90s? Yeah. The bracelet? No? Anybody? Anybody have one on? That would be so like AOL address right now, <laughs> right? Anyhow, so uh, what would Jesus do? It was totally popular. That was like a big thing. We laugh, but it's actually not a bad question. It's a bit of a misleading question. Uh, Jesus was a first century Jewish single male who was childless and he was an itinerant rabbi. 
So <laughs> anybody relate to that? <laughs> anybody? <laughs> I mean, that's it, it, kind of a goofy thing. Um, I mean, we, here's the thing. Like, we ask questions all the time, and some of you are in this spot. Like, should I rent a house? Should I buy a house? Should I, you know, like, think about that question alone, and then, and then asking, what would Jesus do? Well, Jesus would have couch surfed. Jesus would have just like, hey, man, you got a spot for me, you know? And, and Jesus would have done that, right? So the what would Jesus, I love the heart of it, but I think a better question, and this isn't a classic bracelet question, so it wouldn't really work, but what would Jesus do if he were me? Like, what would Jesus do if he were me? What would Jesus do with my stage of life, my education, my upbringing, my family? What would Jesus do with my city, my school, my neighborhood, my experience? How would that work out through me? Because a lot of times we hear, like, uh, if I'm going to be like Jesus, well, man, I should probably never get married, never have kids, never, never really settle down anywhere. Um, that, that's not for everybody. In fact, that's for a very few amount of people. See, we're not all in the same place. So for some of you, actually the call is to get going, like get moving, um, shut Netflix off for a little while and like push in intentionally to some of these things. For some of you, you need to hear, slow down, take a step back. Maybe you need to experience some healing and some like a deep breath for your soul. Uh, third thing is, do not underestimate the power of practicing the way of Jesus in community. We say it over and over and over and over and over again. You can't follow Jesus alone. You can't. And in a few weeks, Dan Zizvorka is going to be talking about community and some of his rich experience by pushing into that, and I can't wait for that. But for some of you, this is a very, it's a very difficult one. Um, and we're going to be, like I said, zeroing in on this. Listen to this. Second Peter says this. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans. Now, pagans isn't a derogatory word. It's just, I just want you to hear that. Um, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds, how you live, and glorify God on the day he visits us. Peter's vision for the church was so compelling People flock to them to ask questions about how they live. I love that. Take a look at this quote from Dallas Willard. It's one of my favorites. There is a special evangelistic work to be done, of course, and there are special callings to it. But if those churches really are enjoying fullness of life, evangelism will be unstoppable and largely automatic. The local assembly, for its part, can then become an academy where people throng from the surrounding community to learn how to live. It will be a school of life, for a disciple is but a pupil, a student, where all aspects of that life seen in the New Testament records are practiced and mastered under those who have themselves mastered them through practice. Only by taking this as an, our immediate goal can we intend to carry out the Great Commission. What I think is so fascinating about that is it doesn't mention anything about seminary. It doesn't mention anything about anything like you've conquered. What this is talking about 
is people who have mastered practices teaching others how to do the same. And over and over and over and over and over. How to deal with your finances, how to, how to learn to be generous, how to set aside time uh, in solitude, all these things. There are people in this community that have, that have, that have gotten to a place of, of regular habit and practice on these things. And what we wanna do is be a church that passes that on, right? And become that. So listen, it's a beautiful idea, isn't it? So what if churches and Christians were known as being, yeah, maybe a little weird and odd, but the kind of people that were like restful and intentional, the kind of people that were not sucked into fear um, from politics on both sides, um, that the, the kind of people that really genuinely care about people, the kind of people that are honest about their pain, but yet at the same time seem to have a sense of peace in their life, and they're not perfect, but they put on display a whole other way to live. That's what this is all about in community. Number four, start with the, basic, start with the basics. Eat with people far from God. You want to learn, you want to take one of those things off the list. Maybe you're not like ready to go preach the gospel or teach the way or heal the sick or cast a demon out, but you're like, man, I could, I could nail this one. I could give this one a shot, right? Like, what would this look like to you? There's a guy named Tim Chester. He wrote a book called Meals with Jesus and Meal, A Meal with Jesus. And he basically takes two passages in Luke. This is super fascinating. And he says, it, one, of, one passage says, the, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And then and the other passage said, the son of man came eating and drinking. <laughs> and so he, he writes this beautiful book like this, like what if Jesus's practical strategy for seeking and saving the lost was eating and drinking with them? And I just love it. I mean, he goes up, he He's walking along, he sees Zacchaeus in the tree. He's like, hey, hey, Zach. It's like a good 90s name, right? Hey, Zach. Come, anybody named Zach in here? Hey, Zach, come down. I hear you've got a huge house because you're super oppressive and you have a lot of money. Um, let's go have dinner at your house and let's just eat through your pantry. And, and this was Jesus' strategy and 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 and. and I just think that eating with people is a powerful thing. Radical hospitality. Like, learn one meal. Like, your good one, right? Learn one, practice that bad boy, and have people over. And I just think it should be a, I mean, here's the thing. Arvada, the city of Arvada, I have a friend of mine, Dave Runyon, another buddy, buddy Jay Pathak, they wrote a book called Neighboring, The Art of Neighboring. And all throughout them, if you've been at any Arvada churches, you've probably heard about this, but um, a bunch of churches got together. We're going to do this. We're going to learn our neighbors. We're going to throw block parties. The city of Arvada picked up on it. The city of Arvada decided to put together a trailer, a block party trailer that you can rent. It has chairs and games and all this stuff in it, a barbecue, all this kind of stuff. And, and they'll actually give you a $100, $150 grant to use for food to get your neighbors together. And they actually took this idea from the churches 
And in fact, they changed, Arvada's got a new like slogan. It is a city of great neighbors. Did you know that started in the churches around here? And so that's like this goal of like becoming uh, like Jesus. And the last thing is this, I want you to, to understand it's about living in the moment as people of the future. Like being really present in your situation today, tomorrow, this week, and being aware of the things happening around you as someone who has their eye on the future. And so what I want to do is I want to um, take a, a second and invite uh, Dan Quarantino up. And Dan um, is an assistant principal at Arvada High School. And also, he is the athletic director for Arvada High School. So he's got all sorts of responsibility. Yeah. It's like a 20-hour week, right? Uh, yeah. On a good week. Yeah. Um, and so the reason why I have Dan here is we've gotten to know each other over this last year. Some of you guys know that we tinkered around with the idea of doing, uh, moving our church to Arvada High School on Sunday mornings. And there was some scheduling stuff with that. But in the meantime, we got to know Dan. We got to know a bunch of the other staff. And we got to know a little bit more about, well, Arvada High School culture and what they need and where they're at. And so I just wanted to take a time to interview you, hear from you as someone. Tell us a little bit about Arvada High and what makes it unique and maybe what it struggles. Are. Well, first of all, th that bread looks wonderful. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you're about to get some of that. But, so. but anyhow, I, I think, first of all, thank you for having me. I, I'll kind of back up a little bit. As uh, the athletic director at Arvada High School and being an assistant principal there, it's an honor and a privilege. Um, Every day, it's, it's kind of like Forrest Gump. You just don't know what you're going to get <laughs> a lot of times. So a lot of it's fun. Um, it's a lot of work. Um, but one of the things that we partnered up a little bit last year on was a uh, sports camp that we teamed up with another church, and this church really helped us. And that was about 293 kids uh, had an opportunity to do an all-sports camp. And that's a big deal, and I'll get into that in a second. But, you know, as you're talking about being an ambassador, that's how you can be an ambassador is helping out the, mm -hmm. your own community by helping kids that don't have opportunities like everybody else. If you look at Arvada in the city itself, uh, we were talking how it, it looks normal. Everything looks fine. Um, but when you go three blocks south of here, uh, it, it's a different world. Uh, we were pushing about 70% free and reduced lunch. And what that means is a lot of families are not, you know, from a government standpoint and school standpoint, uh, they cannot afford, and, and where they are from a poverty standpoint and economic mm -hmm. standpoint, they're not meeting that standard. So <coughs> the big thing with Arvada High School, we were pushing about 70% uh, free and reduced lunch. And there's still that are just above that uh, threshold that are just making enough, but still are struggling on their own means. Mm -hmm. And you don't think of that when you have other schools like Ralston Valley, Arvada West, and, and some other schools in this area. Arvada is not like that. It's very unique in that nature. Uh, there is a lot of needs mm -hmm. uh, within that. When you push in 70%, we're not getting all the needs that we significantly can use for our, right. our building. Well, one of the things that in the classic, if you know much about uh, school t statistics, 75% would mean what? 
Yeah, 75 percent, I'm glad you brought that up. 75 percent is uh, considered Title I. Uh, so some of the schools in Jefferson County uh, are on Title I with high school, but 75, so we're 5 percent short. And what that means is then you get more money to get those resources that you need. So some of the things that our principal has done, um, you know, from the athletics world of where I'm living at, we, we have a saying called, we, we will benefit those who we serve. And, and that's kind of what our principal has done. It's, you know, we, we got a lot of needs, so we will benefit those kids, those families, those situations uh, in, in our own community. Mm -hmm. So we have opened up a resource center couple years ago she's taken money of uh, from the school in terms of that she gets she's hired somebody to uh, man that resource center that resource center I call it like the ark uh, or goodwill and, and that will help out the our community uh, that that's even at the elementary schools it's just not our Vada high school we ask whoever's in need come support right I think this is really important that you know what what he's talking about there is a food bank and a clothing bank within the high school walls. So think about the high school that you grew up in, um, needing a food bank and a clothing bank for its own students and families. And that's what Arvada High School has. A couple years ago, I saw the food bank, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the, it was just beginning, the clothing bank, all that kind of stuff. I was just in there three weeks ago uh, with Coach Rod. So the head football coach runs the family resource uh, deal. And it is like ship shape, man. That thing is like organized and like, it's awesome. Um, one of the things they deal with, there's 60 kids at your school that are considered homeless. Yeah, and that number kind of goes up uh, every once in a while. And think about mobility. We have a high mobility rate, which is about 24%. So that can go up uh, depending mm -hmm. on the week. Uh, we, we get new kids that are leaving. We get new kids that are, are coming in. It truly is mm -hmm. a, a place, a refuge for, for a lot of these families for a short period of time. But for these families, they know that if there is a need uh, that they can go to. Mm -hmm. We also do on Fridays, uh, Panera Bread. Uh, they support us on, on their donations. We also get stuff from uh, different agencies that come in and provide food. Uh, this resource center is a pretty unique thing, and it's an opportunity, again, for our families to get those uh, resources, mm -hmm. even if it's just gas cards. Right. It, it, you think your daily, think about your own daily, where, where are you going to get food today? Where are you going to get clothes? I mean, that's a basic need for a 16, 15-year-old, uh, 17-year-old. And, and now, oh, by the way, I need you to go study. Uh, social studies for 45 minutes. Oh, by the way, you had a tough night. Sorry you didn't eat that much last night, but I need you to do math. Yeah, but you got to test. Well. Yeah, yeah, so, exactly. Uh, it's one of those things that we <clears throat> want to help our kids. Yeah. There's, uh, the reason why we're bringing this up to you is that Arvada High is three blocks south of us. Three blocks. Um, they serve food to all the athletes going on away games uh, because they can't afford a stop at McDonald's or whatever. Um, they have kids that are regularly getting bus passes um, just to get to and from school. Um, they're, um, some, some of the kids, I mean, they, you guys hand out snack mm -hmm. <laughs> at the end of every school day. So not only are they doing breakfast and lunch, Title I, but they're also sending kids home with something to eat. 
Um, there are so many news, like uh, kids uh, in the sports programs who, are, who, are, who need to have a certain academic standing in order to play those sports um, are needing tutors. Um, there's just, there's, there's really an endless list. The reason why I'm bringing it up and the reason why I have Dan here is, is as I've gotten to know Dan and I've gotten to know Rod and a few others at the school, um, they're not just teachers and administrators. Um, I actually see them as following Jesus, doing what Jesus did at Arvada High. So Dan, will you kind of just give us a little bit, a taste of your kind of faith journey in, in your work? Yeah, um, I don't know how to word it correctly. In public education, you should know, um, Jesus isn't always celebrated, celebrated <laughs> uh, isn't always invited. Um, you know, I was listening to a podcast, and they were talking about the ambassadors, and, and I, I truly believe that you can't take Christ out of, a, out of a building. It's too hard because there's too many people that Christ follows. Sorry, I'm getting emotional, but you can't take Christ out of people's hearts and doing the work that he wants you to do. So on any given day, it's interesting how God gives me. I have a list of things, but it's interesting how God tells me that list doesn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. It's what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And it's just not with me. It's with the other coaches, with the other teachers. It's everybody in that building. Mm -hmm. And it's just the reason why I get emotional is because of my love for Christ, but what he's doing to people in this community and in that building. So I, I go there, yes, I get paid as a employee of Jefferson County Public Schools and I'm so grateful for that. But my job is of Christ. So one of the things I can tell you is why I love what I do. It's not a job. I'm just doing the work of Jesus Christ every single day. Mm -hmm. getting, getting to know, I know, getting to know Dan and uh, Rod and their stories, um, it's fun to, to hear them say, man, I just heard God tell me this about this kid, or I heard God say this about kind of what he wants to do. And they're trying things, they're testing things, they're pushing things, this little secret thing here. Dan uh, gets to hire coaches. When he, he hires the right coaches, wink, wink, you know. And here's the other great thing, this sports camp that he's talked about, um, it's high school kids teaching younger kids how to do certain sports, it's coaches are involved, it's, there's so much beautiful stuff happening at you know, this school. Kind of add one thing to that, about a year ago, uh, we do a lot of community service. We believe in community service again, it's about helping others, showing people who who Christ is. Yeah, I'm undercover, but truly this is what we're doing. But I think the bottom line is this. Christ, about it was, uh, middle of October, we're looking at ways, how can we do, how can we give back to our community? Because I, I truly believe, even our kids struggle, I still believe it's important that we give back. 
and show that we care and we want to support, but also show people love. If you look at our athletic culture, it's based off love. And where does that love come from? It comes from Christ. But one of the things that he told me, he said, Dan, I need you to do something. You need rake leaves. Okay, we'll go rake leaves. I'll get 10, eight kids, and we'll go rake leaves. But I think the neat thing about it is we didn't understand the outcome until we started raking leaves. Again, two weeks prior to us doing it, this is where I get my vision is, is I don't have this long vision of this is where I want to go. I'm trying to listen to what Christ is telling me each and every day. And this is what he tells me, go rake leaves. We go in the community, and again, we don't do it for money. We don't do it for anything other than to show people who our kids are, and more importantly, who we are as, as people. So we're in the community, and we're doing about four or five houses, and people are coming out with waters and, and wanting to give us money. And we said, no, we don't do this for money. Mm -hmm. We do it because we love. Mm -hmm. And again, when you talk about where did that idea come from, that, that wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. I'm not smart enough. But God understood what our need was in our community. And it's interesting, uh, based off that, we've gotten more com compliments and changes of our kids than anything we've done. Mm -hmm. And it's just because of one thing that God told me. And now we have people actually call me. I got a phone call last week stating, hey, can you help me with, I can't get out there and mm -hmm. rake leaves. And so we're going Monday, taking about six, seven kids to go rake a lady's home. That's awesome. One of the things that is happening at Arvada High is they're trying to change the narrative of what people think about when they think of Arvada High. And here's how you can help. You can help in a lot of different ways. One, if you want to volunteer for anything, they'll use it. Um, tutoring, helping the food bank. There's just a lot of different ways. But two, one of the things you could be really is, is you could like really change the conversation about Arvada High. Like if you're in a conversation with someone and they're like, oh, Arvada High is this, it would be really cool if you were like, whoa, 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 whoa. What if, what if you actually knew what was happening over there? What if, what was, what if you actually saw what they were doing and, um, and just begin to change people's understanding of Arvada High? That would be awesome. Um, go buy an Arvada High Bulldog shirt. Show up at a football game. Show up at a basketball game. Um, like, support in some ways what they're doing. Because a lot of them, their families can't even afford to go watch them play sports. Mm -hmm. um, Chassa, whatever. Um, there's my little dig at Chassa right there. Everything's, I, everything costs money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's my kid. I made the kid. Can't I watch him play football, right? Yeah. That's what I think. Yep. Let me pray for you, Dan. You know, can I add yeah. something to that yeah. as, as you end there? Um, and I'm sorry, I'm going over probably our time. And, um, well, we do it every week. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, when you, when you talk, and I, and I apologize again, emotion, my, the love of Jesus Christ is strong. Mm -hmm. And the love of Jesus Christ is, is going to keep building in that school. Trust me when I say this. He's not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. There's too many people. Um, but I, I want to say something about this image thing that's so mm -hmm. critical. What he just said was so, so important. Because there is this negative image. Well, you got the poor kids. You got these tough, tough kids. Yeah, we do have some tough <laughs> kids, but so does every school. But we also have kids that 
just need some extra help and they're going through life that's a little bit harder. I'd like to know how your life would be if you can't afford food on the table. Mm -hmm. How would you act? Mm -hmm. But more importantly, I want you guys to understand our kids are wonderful. Mm -hmm. they, you know, they open doors for people. They care for people. We just did a, a fundraiser for this player at Estes Park. He has cancer. And our kids, you, you would think they were full of money, handing out money for me to give to this family. Again, this is, these are our kids. This is our community. And how do you support? But I want you to understand, we're trying to also think big picture too. Next year, we're doing a rebranding on how we do curriculum. And we're doing project-based learning. And we're getting connected with different people. So if you're also a business leader and you just want to help, talk to us. There's many ways to do that. There's uh, culinary arts. There's a sports business academy. There's a stronger court. Our fat high school's changing. Mm -hmm. and, and it's not, you know, you, you talk about something really funny. 10 years ago, I, I became an assistant principal about 11, 12 years ago. And I remember being at a school in Arvada, being an assistant principal, and I said, hey, would you ever go there? And this, really, this was eight, nine years ago. You couldn't catch me dead in there. <laughs> and here I am 10 years later, and you couldn't removed me from that mm -hmm. school. And it's because of what Christ has done. He showed me the way. This is where you need to be. Mm -hmm. But I also want you to understand it's not the school that, um, that everybody thinks it is. Mm -hmm. There's some great things, but more importantly, where this thing's going, Principal Revis has got this great vision of this PBL of helping our students learn better, of these different academies, a STEM program, culinary arts, theater, a sports academy. Mm -hmm. Why? Because we're going to change the way kids do education. Mm -hmm. And again, so when you go around, when people say, oh, well, man, I wouldn't send my kid there. I would send my kid there. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think overall, that message that you're saying is so dang important. Mm -hmm. Change that message of Arvada High School. Come in. Yeah. And, and more importantly, I asked you to do something. You know, I, I got a laundry list of things that we need help. <laughs> I really do. But I, I asked you to do this. Pray. Mm -hmm. Pray on what God's telling you what our need is. And, and, tell, and ask him, what, how can I help? If you're supposed to help. Mm -hmm. If you're not supposed to help, don't worry. I'm not going to look at you differently. Mm -hmm. Or God won't either. He may have you do something special elsewhere. But if, if God's telling you to come out of high school, pray specifically. How can I help? You know, you said dinners. Maybe that's a spot for our athletes. Maybe it's a team dinner, you know, from an athlete. We, we get two schools that are similar to us, and we provide dinner for two schools. So they go home on a nice meal. If that's your calling, then that's what you do, or maybe it's tutoring. But I, I really recommend you just praying, praying to God and asking him, how can I help? How can I help the city of our God? Yeah, it's huge. I'm going to pray for you, Dan. Thank you. God, thank you so much for Dan and, and Rod and all the other teachers and administrators there. They're there for a reason. And you are, uh, you are working in a, a new story. Um, and you are changing hearts and minds and lives. God, I just pray that you would give us the wisdom on how to become like Jesus where we're at 
for some of us in this room, it, it might involve Arvada High. It, it might involve uh, something locally here right now in Arvada. For some of us, it, it, we're thinking about our families and our place of, of work and our, and our neighborhoods. God, would you just lead us gently, but challenge us directly to become like you, to be in our world with purpose. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Dan, thank you. Thank you. You guys give Dan a hand. <clears throat> so thankful.